Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions, and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrooks.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from Talk Sport. Hello, Manchester United and Chelsea are fighting for a place in the Champions League and a place in the FA Cup final as four of the biggest teams in the land head to Wembley. This is tense, this is tight, this is FA Cup football on Chalk Sport. Danny Ceballos in the first minute of added time has surely steered Arsenal into the FA Cup semi-final. Will we see an all-capital clash in the August finale at Wembley or will we get arch-rivals United and City or something less favourable for the headline writers? Watford won at the London Stadium last season and the Hornets know that they're safe if they can pull off a sting on Friday night. But does anyone really expect the Hammers to fall there's a chance for Leicester to go third Burnley to pick up three points and after a battling performance at City Bournemouth have a cracking opportunity to give themselves real hope on the final day all on the podcast that is really upset that other podcasts have got more of a rest than we have it's the game day podcast from TalkSport this is game day Hello and welcome to the Game Day Preview Podcast from TalkSport, the ultimate preview of the weekend action as we look ahead to the weekend's Premier League and FA Cup clashes with football's top correspondents. Darren Lewis from The Mirror is with me. Hello, how are you? Very well, Samuel. Very, very well indeed. A really good week of football and now looking forward to the FA Cup semi-finals. I'm a little bit disappointed because I had a technical meltdown just before we came on air and I queued up Spandau Ballet's True. Um, especially for you, it's late at night. I'm so I'm in the love zone. I've got to be honest with you, and your voice just soothes me. <laughs> I wanted to play you one of those tunes. I also queued up a bit of uh, music for our uh, second guest this evening, Talksport commentator and news reporter Alex Crook. He's literally just walked in the door from St Mary's. You're slightly different, Crooky. Um, five, six, seven, eight by Step is on my list. My boot scooting lady was driving me crazy. How do you know My that? obsession for a western. All right, okay. Um, that's just underscored how sad your musical tastes are. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it is late at night and we are recording this after all of the games on Thursday the reason for that is because not only do we want to look ahead to what we've got upcoming on the TalkSport network over the weekend which is of course uh, both semi-finals of the FA Cup but also we want to make sure that uh, we reflect uh, the knowledge that we've gained from watching the games tonight I thought Aston Villa uh, missed a big opportunity they conceded late against Everton and I thought the Toffees were there for the taking Darren 
I think you're absolutely right. Um, Everton are a really bad sign. I can see Carlo Ancelotti taking them apart uh, this summer and some of those players who have been in there had a chance on big wages. They'll be shown the door. But I think as far as Villa are concerned, they're going to be reshaping for the championship. Just can't defend. And I think it's only a couple of clean sheets since uh, the festive period last year. And so I think uh, as far as they're concerned, It's going to be sad, but they're going to go down and we all know what's going to happen as a result. Best players are going to leave. And that's bad news, isn't it? Because um, they spent quite a lot of money in order to try and keep themselves in this this division. Obviously, the head of recruitment will come under scrutiny, but I think they've changed that position a couple of times already this campaign. What does the future hold for them, do you think? Well, I think they will. I know they're going to have a root and branch review at the end of the season. They've got to look into why they've made so many bad buys and put together a side totally incapable of being able to defend. So I think uh, the best thing for them to do is let them go get as much money as they can in for those players and then restructure with a, with a view to coming back up again. But I do think they should stick with Dean Smith. The guy got you into the Premier League in the first place. Give him an, an, another chance to get you back up to the top division. Um, of course, we're not writing them off. They could end up pulling off a miracle and staying up. They won't. To do that, they've got no, to, they can't. They've got no, to beat they Arsenal won't. on Tuesday <laughs> night live on TalkSport and then they've got to beat West Ham. So it, 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 no, is, it is climbing the north face of the Eiger for Aston Villa. It does look like the championship beckons for them. Uh, Leicester secure European football with a win over Sheffield United. They did it with a 19-year-old debutant, Luke Thomas, impressing on the left-hand side. And Jamie Vardy turning provider, Crook. It was a deserved win as well. Chris Wilder coming out afterwards admitting that his players were, were well below par. But you have to give Brendan Rodgers a lot of credit because I thought Leicester were absolutely on their knees after that second half against Bournemouth. So to rally them and to pick up a really important victory, I think you have to take your cap off to the manager. I do think Manchester United dropping points was a massive psychological boost for them on Monday night. If United had held on to that 2-1 victory, pressure on Leicester would have intensified and I wonder maybe if we'd have seen a different Leicester City side we'll never know Chris Wilder absolutely furious Uh, he made a triple sub but couldn't turn the tide I think he was a little bit disappointed that some of his players he thought maybe after a couple of good results had uh, had just put the flip-flops on Um, VAR ruled out a Jordan Ayew go and this was the big uh, controversy of the night Uh, and Crystal Palace probably could have had a penalty which VAR didn't overturn in their game with Manchester United the reason they didn't overturn it Darren was because it was not a clear and obvious error in the minds of the officials now that's a subjective decision because I think most people believe it should have been a penalty but the argument will be that VAR is only there for the howlers look next season we know they will review that via a monitor admission if ever you needed one that they haven't got it right Um, and, and that probably would have been overturned but honestly, Sam, I don't even know where to begin with this. They've had a shocker ever since the restart. Also, to be fair, they've had shockers all season, but since the restart, even more so. I mean, last week, you had Jared Bowen, who was poleaxed by James Tarkovsky. No review, yellow card for Tarkovsky. You look again at it and you see that he can pretty much cut him in half. What are these VARs doing? Are they watching Coronation Street? Because <laughs> it, it, it is, it's just time back. after... Well, I actually, I just checked on the Sky Plus just to make sure before I tweet. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it's time after time after time. And the problem with this is that the stakes are sky high. Yeah. 
the Champions League, you know, you, the Sheffield United thing. I bang on about this every week, but it matters. Of it, it matters to the fans. It matters to the club. It's a sliding doors moment in some cases. And, and then you've got clubs at the bottom of the Premier League who are, uh, well, I would imagine in Crystal Palace's case in mid-table, they've maybe got outside chances for Europe. They're gone now. But they're losing anyway. game after game now, aren't they? I mean, they're, they're not going to go down, but they're dropping like a stone and falling places down the Premier League table and losing money as a result. But the problem, Sam, is that decisions like that don't help. Of course they don't. Because, you know, if they get that penalty, it's a different game. Instead, absolutely. it's denied. They go up the other end, they score. And you're affecting so, Chelsea and Leicester at the same absolutely. time. And others, Wolverhampton Wanderers in the in the process as well. What, Rio Ferdinand, what I thought was really interesting on this after the game, he said, just get rid of it. Because ultimately, we all sat here and we understood that the referee was a human being and he would make some great decisions, some bad decisions. We'd moan about it, we'd go to a pub, we'd, we'd whine for a, for a couple of hours afterwards, then we'd move on. Is that looking back at how we thought about referees with rose-tinted glasses? Because I think there was quite a clamour, if not a, 100% of the, the football community asking for VAR, quite a high proportion proportion of people were interested in finding out about technology you definitely wanted it dr var no, that's 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 not true I, I i didn't want var i've never ever thought it was a great idea um but i was lucky or unlucky enough to do the first ever international game in europe which had var as a result of that i got involved in the the, the rules and regulations and the processes with var very early and as a result of that, you know, it was at a World Cup. It was at a Women's World Cup that I did. And by the time it came into the Premier League, I'd spent so much time working with it. I did actually, yeah, graduate with a, an honours degree in the subject. But, but yeah, I, I never, I never thought it would solve all the ills. Sam, I, I remember that Women's World Cup, and in practically every match, the referees were going to the touchline and looking at the monitors. Absolutely. This is the biggest. And that's why it worked in that competition. Well, it's because we've but decided we, that we, we can do it better. Arrogance. Absolutely. <laughs> we have an arrogance in England. We have an arrogance in the men's game. We see ourselves as being so much better. And so the referees, very capable referees who used to officiate games well, uh, now abdicating their responsibility yep. to the guy who is sitting in Stockholm. And the problem is... If you look at, for example, the Sheffield United-Aston Villa match, Michael Oliver took charge of that game. Even if the video assistant says no goal, he's experienced enough to use the evidence of his own eyes to say, no, that is a goal. Yeah, we and all had the same say, feeling, didn't we? We all had the same feeling. We're all going, hold on a second. The, They're saying not quite right here. Well, well, and the laws say that the referee is the sole arbiter of the game. Correct. Regardless of yeah. what happens, the referee's decision yeah. is final. He could make that decision. And what's happening is they're giving the responsibility to the people in, in front of a monitor, and that's out of order. I agree, and, and he's giving referees a safety net. I mean, just to go back to that Palace-Manchester United game, if the referee on the field didn't have the option of a second check by the VAR, would he have pointed for a penalty? Well, yeah. I think he would have. Yeah. I think he would have. Yeah, because because what he knows is is if he's sort of like seventy five percent sure, he doesn't have to give the decision because if it's an absolute howler, his mate's going to tell him and he's going to be able to overturn it. So he he, he checks out of that decision making process. Yeah, and it's given the- it's given them a safety cushion, and until that cushion is taken away, and until the people watching at Stockley Park are, are big enough to overturn 
their mates' decisions and that hasn't happened enough, it, it, it's never going to work. The offside is different. It's, he was unlucky because his big toe was offside, but his big toe was offside. Therefore, VAR was used correctly. That's not open to I'm play. not even a fan of that. I'm not even a fan of the, this offside, big toe, armpit, stuff like that. You can't score with your armpit. And I get it. If any part, if you any part of your foot is offside, your leg is offside. Fair enough. I get that. No arguments there. But this There's is a law problem off. rather than a VAR problem. The implementation of VAR is is to do with the law. And I think the problem is is that they've now decided that they're going to write laws that are written to VAR criteria, which again is changing the nature of the game. Of course. The problem is is that unfortunately, I think now, especially after the way we've experienced it here, VAR is here to stay. I think it'll be interesting to see how they handle it next season. A quick look at the top four. Which two for you of the three make the top four? We're going to do all the semi-final stuff in the next few few minutes, uh, but just looking at the fixtures, Leicester have got Spurs and then Manchester United. Manchester United have got West Ham and then Leicester. Chelsea have got Liverpool on trophy night and Mm. Wolverhampton Wanderers. But they know they have to win both games because if United and Leicester end up winning their games in the build-up to the last day of the season, they could play out a convenient draw and Chelsea, if they don't beat Liverpool or get anything from Liverpool, will be locked out because Leicester and uh, Manchester United's goal difference is much better. I change my mind every day. Half an hour into that game at Selhurst Park, I told you it was over for United and that 96-minute goal on Monday would be a killer, but they found a way to win. I think they'll beat West Ham at home because I think West Ham will probably be safe by then. Then it comes down to Leicester. I thought Chelsea would be okay on the basis Leicester and United are playing each other, but you've drawn my attention to the goal difference. I'm going to go Chelsea-Manchester United, but that might be heart overhead. I think I think Chelsea are going to miss out, Darren. I don't think they are. I think their run is very good. I think it's 8 out of 10 wins the other two obviously defeats but they can't I think defend they're a the sandcastle no that's right but you never really know what Leicester team will turn up and I think that's the big difference Sheffield United will run out of puff and that's why they were able to win easily but are there enough goals if Vardy doesn't score I'm not seeing too many players step up I'm going to go with Chelsea Manchester United as well there's something ominous about the way that they just can't stop winning first time they've won 19 games in the, well they've been undefeated Manchester United are going to do it Manchester United are going to do it and then it's between stop Chelsea. telling me that they stop telling me that of course they're. it's theirs to lose isn't it it's theirs to lose and Antonio has a fourth what a day for Mikel Antonio. It is Norwich City nil, West Ham United 4. Everyone we're in at the moment is a must win. We're in a position where we're running out of games. We have to keep winning. Yarmolenko's onside. He cuts in past the defender. He fires home and he surely fires West Ham United. Three points clear of the relegation zone. You look at the players and if you know that they can perform like they did against Chelsea, then you would expect them to be, to be absolutely fine. Troy Deeney steps up and smashes it into the right-hand side of the net. And that is a goal that could go a long, long way to keeping Watford in the Premier League. There's no point having any fear in terms of the situation. We need to back ourselves. Welbert with the overhead kick. Oh my goodness me! That is one of the goals of the season! Never easy to be able to get yourself into a position where you feel you might be able to get over the line and we're not there yet. It may be Cup semi-final weekend, but it's a Cup final at the London Stadium, Darren, because if West Ham or Watford win this the showdown of all showdowns, then they can think about another season in the Premier League. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think they'll win. Mikel Antonio in fantastic four, four goals against Norwich last weekend. But they just look to be a little bit of a spring in their step. The, the problem with this match, you know, guys, I don't know if you agree, but neither side... You, you, <laughs> I'm going for West Ham, but yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. Neither side defensively. I think it's going to be a bruising encounter because I think if you're Nigel Pearson, you're literally going to say to your defenders, stop the supply line to Antonio. They've not been great at that, though, in recent weeks, have they? Neither no, of them no. have. Though. I mean, the turning point for West Ham for me, I think, was the Chelsea game. They've been better organised. Diop and Obonner are certainly a... a together are the best centre-back pairing that they've yeah. got. I'm not saying it's a great centre-back pairing, but it's the best that they have at this time. Suchek, I think, is a very good player. He's stepping up Super. his influence in games. Mainly, thanks to Mikel Antonio, they're starting to take more of the chances that they create now. But the opposition have helped in the last couple of weeks. they played Norwich and Newcastle. That all changes now. These next three tests are huge tests. I, I think you've, you've actually named a player who could settle this game. Everyone thinks it's all about Antonio, but Suchek has got a touch of class. Mm. And I, I actually worry for West Ham with Suchek because uh, there's been a number of games where he's been very, very impressive. He's got an ability to find space in the box. Missed a couple of chances against Burnley that he would normally bury. Uh, but I think he scored in two of the last four matches. And I think while everyone is focused on Antonio, it might just be Suchek who pops up with the goal that might decide the game. I like him a lot. But if you lose this encounter, West Ham or Watford Crook, the nerves will be jangling because West Ham's next opponents are Manchester United and then Aston Villa. And Watford have got Manchester City and Arsenal. I mean, it's poor, deadly. If, if Watford lose tomorrow, then, then, then they will worry and they'll rely on everybody else being even worse than they are. Well, this is the ultimate game of high stakes poker because it isn't beyond the realms to suggest that this match could be worth, what, 120 million yeah. to one of the two teams because it isn't beyond the realms that Watford might not get another point after Friday night. And therefore, with Bournemouth's improvement in terms of performances of late, they could be in big trouble. West Ham, tough game against Manchester United. And then, do they want to take it to a last day scenario? Which manager is going to be brave? Which manager is going to say to his players, look, a point would be okay, but if we win tonight, this is our safety secure. And I just get the impression that maybe David Moyes is the bolder manager of the two. And I haven't said that too often. I think Nigel Pearson will be content to contain and take a point. I think David Moyes will send his team out to win the game. And that could just be the difference. Wow, he's praising David Moyes. Put that one on record. Um, Watford haven't won on the road in six. They've lost their last four away games without scoring. Um, With what I see with my own eyes, and I've seen West Ham a few times, I've been and done a couple of Watford games as well, I lean towards a West Ham United win in this encounter. Are are you expecting the same, Darren? Are you expecting KG goals? What? Yeah, I'm, I'm expecting a West Ham win. I think they've got a bit more mobility in midfield. I think that they have got a bit more confidence back. I think Watford's confidence is very fragile. Ironically, I think if there were fans in the stadium, it would probably work against West Ham rather than for them uh, because I think the nerves would be jangling and there'd be a bit of pressure on them. But the West Ham team, certainly in last week's game, looked really creative. They looked at it and I think they might have just a little bit too much for one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. 
That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is tense. This is tight. This is FA Cup football on Talk Sport. Danny Ceballos in the first minute of added time has surely steered Arsenal into the FA Cup semi-final. Well, we know that if we win it, we are in Europe. It's certain we go direct there. Sterling comes in, Phil. Right foot shot from him. Outstanding finish from Raheem Sterling. And Manchester City are surely on their way to the semi-finals of the FA Cup. The motivation is play good. And of course, now we have a final uh, against Arsenal. Arsenal next game. Maguire tries to get on the end of it. Comes to him. He turns and swivels and smashes it home. And in doing so, surely smashes Manchester United into the last four of the FA Cup. Now the results are coming. The excitement is coming. Now it's time to keep your feet on the ground. Keep working. Keep doing the right things. Read away, mate. Including Barkley. 1-0. Brilliantly taken goal by Ross Barkley. Frank Lampard's Blues love affair with the Cup continues as Barkley banks them a place in the semi-finals attitude and mentality cannot be played down in, in teams that want to be successful it has to be there it can't be talent alone a heavyweight final for Manchester United Chelsea Arsenal and Manchester City this is why we love the FA Cup FA Cup semi-final weekends. They are both live on TalkSport. Let's start with Manchester United against Chelsea, 6pm on Sunday. I'll be there with Stuart Pearce. Uh, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer not happy about the turnaround time. It's the third time that Manchester United have had a 72-hour turnaround. Chelsea have had that five times since the restart. So we're due a little bit of slack. Um, how significant is the rest time, Darren? I'm not sure it is that significant. I mean, these are players now, big players at a big club who mentally, and, and bear in mind, you know, they had three months off. Really, if you you could make an argument for saying that they're really getting into top gear after the five or six games that they've had already since the restart. I'm not buying into the idea that, I, that Chelsea have got an advantage, I think, Man United. And bear in mind, Solskjaer says this all the time, you need a special kind of mentality, fortitude to play for Manchester United. Mm. These are the big games that Manchester United players should be standing up in. And I don't care whether you have played on Thursday night and then you're playing on Sunday. You know, listen, if you are in the Europa League, which it looks like they could end up in, they'll be expected to do that all season. And they did it and won the Europa League 
under Jose Mourinho. They can do it. They'll, They'll be, be in the fine. Champions League next season. Don't worry about that. Look, forget the performances that, and the disappointment of conceding an 80, a 97th minute goal on, on Monday night. There are not many other teams in the last six months that have been on such a, a good run like Manchester United. 19 games unbeaten. They've won a hell of a lot of games since the restart. Um, they're the form team as well as being a team that uh, have got the the history and the prestige and being used to these occasions, Crook. Yeah, but how rubbish must they have been for the first half of the season when you consider that <laughs> when they started this unbeaten run, they were fifth in the Premier League. 19 games later, they're fifth in the Premier League. Yeah, what's to say about the rest of the, the, the teams at the top end of the, the, the Premier League, I think more, more pertinently. What effect will the fitness worries over Luke Shaw and Brandon Williams have? Yeah, but a big effect. And and, and I, I like the second half of, of Darren's statement about the character you need to be a Manchester United player, but I completely disagree with the first half of his statement because this is an FA Cup semi-final. Dates and the fixture list for this round of Premier League games were set after we knew the identity of the semi-finalists. I think in the interest of fairness and sporting integrity, Manchester United and Chelsea should have both played on the same night in this midweek round of fixtures to have the same amount of time to prepare, especially at a time when players are playing more matches than ever before. This is a, a unique period. And I think it does favour Chelsea, no question. Is there a hard luck theme we can play here? Hard luck story? United have looked tired in, in the last couple of matches. And yes, they got yeah, the job done. They've played the same number of matches, haven't they? Exactly. But United... I've had, I guess I've had a 72 day turnaround, a 72 hour turnaround three times, and Chelsea have had it five times. So obviously, no, but, this one being closest to uh, this picture that means that it's going to have even more of an effect. At least you're getting your I, excuses in early. That's good. I guess what it does highlight is there's still not really a plan B, and the reason that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has to keep naming the same team week in week out is because he's hit upon a system with Greenwood one side, Rashford the other, Martial through the middle, Fernandez and Pogba in support and, and normally Matic in front of that back four if you have to rest any of those players because they're Crikey. feeling the exertion there isn't really I'm anybody worried. to come in and I'm do those jobs I'm worried about this guy I'm worried about this guy I'm he's worried about him too he swings from one sort of side of the coin to the other so quickly one minute he's like you know Solskjaer for manager of the year the next minute he's like oh he hasn't got a clue tactically what's going on no, I'm not saying he hasn't got a clue tactically I'm saying he hasn't got the resources at his disposal wait a minute where's Daniel James where's Daniel James where's Odi Nigalo where's Dan James I last saw Dan James playing in August I think at Southampton much since then he's been he's available and he is able to play and you know I'm sorry but I can't be having that Man United don't have the personnel but you know this whole five substitutes rule it's helped teams like Man United who have got big squads quality players and are able to use it to their advantage I can't be having that they're going to struggle against Chelsea. Okay. I think Chelsea will win. win. I think Chelsea che- will win the game. Chelsea keep getting done in midfield because that's an area where they are incredibly light at the moment. They've got no N'Golo Conte. Jorginho wants a whole day on the ball before uh, he makes a pass. And, and, and as a result of that, he keeps getting pressed and he keeps giving the ball away. It, it doesn't work. He's a, he's a lovely player, elegant player. He's got the ability to put a ball anywhere you like if you give him time. The problem is in the Premier League, you do not get that. He found Sam. that out in the Community Shield on day one when he turned up against Manchester City about two years ago. So who takes longer on the ball, Jorginho or Eric Lamella? Uh, well, I saw Eric Lamella rip Newcastle's defence apart only 48 hours ago, so I'm going to say Jorginho at the moment. Mm. But why you, you think Lamella 
I take Lamella's it. Lamella's one of my most infuriating players for me in the Premier League. He just, he shimmies and he shakes and whatever a, that, that, I think that is a product of the fact that both of them come from Serie A, really. I mean, they, they grew up in Serie A and as a result of yeah. that, they're used to having a lot more time on the ball. Also, Manchester United have already proved they've got Chelsea's number. As Crook doesn't tire of telling me, they've played Chelsea three times this season and they've beaten them three times. Crook? Have Chelsea scored a goal yet? <laughs> Chelsea have let in eight goals in the last three away games from Stamford Bridge as well. The defence is not about as reliable as VAR. You never know what you're going to get with them. I think this is Manchester United's to lose. Arsenal against Manchester City kicks off at 7.45 on Saturday night. It is Arteta against Pep. If it goes to form, then City, they win without question, don't they? they? They've rested key men. Laporte and De Bruyne are in midweek. They've won the last seven against Arsenal with an aggregate score of 20 goals to two. Um, someone come to, da- to, to Arsenal's rescue. Tell them that they can do this. Can they? I'll let Darren take this one. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Crook. Um... I'm trying, I'm trying, but I can't see anything other than a City victory. And this is the reason why. If you look at the Liverpool game, everyone says, oh, they were stopping mistakes by Van Dijk and Alisson. Liverpool at the moment are playing with their flip-flops on. They are on the beach. They are, they've done, they've won the league and they're doing a lap of honour. And I know, I know lots of people get really upset about the points record or, couldn't care less, you know, because at the start of the season, nobody would said, let's win the title and get the points record. They just wanted to get that title won after 30 years. And they've done that now. Manchester City will pass Arsenal to death. They will rip them apart. Because if you look at the way that Liverpool, who are on an off day, tore up that Arsenal defence, and then you look at the City side that, really, you've got to remember, the players are playing for their Champions League places in this next few games. It's, I think they're at it and I think they'll be way too good for Arsenal. Um, Rob Holding has to play for Arsenal, doesn't he? He's more physical. He seems to be the one that enjoys defending more than the others. Mikel's misfits, Kolasinac, Luiz and Mustafi were never going to be the long-term solution. Holding is the one worth investing in anyway. Do you go for a back three here for your Mikel Arteta crook? Listen, it doesn't matter. They can play back 10 and still get beat, I think. (laughs) The, the, The issue I've got with Arsenal... Because I, I've watched Manchester City two of their recent games. They lost at Southampton despite peppering the goal. They were fortunate to beat Bournemouth. Bournemouth played really well. But in both those cases, the, the manager had a definitive game plan, soak up the pressure, try and press them into mistakes high at the field, was certainly Southampton's uh, method of victory. I'm just not sure Arsenal have got that cuteness. And I don't think Mikel Arteta, despite the fact he knows Pep Guardiola so well, has that tactical guile. But they do. They, they have been quite well drilled and quite well organised. I thought they were excellent in the away game against Wolverhampton Wanderers when I was there a couple of weeks ago. They, they, they know that they can't, or Mikel Arteta said to me, he knows that they can't do certain things like try and play expansively all the time. They have to be pragmatic. They have to target certain areas of weakness in the opposition. Obviously, but they need speed of thought City. as well in this game. They need speed of thought and well, I don't know they've got that. Well, that's maybe where the, the, the personnel issue is going to get shown up because they have haven't got anywhere near the quality of player of Manchester City. And Nketiah's unavailable. Aubameyang was rested against Liverpool. And Pepe's a little bit worried about him, isn't he, isn't he Darren? Because he's spoken about Pierre-Emerick or Aubameyang before. Garcia and Laporte in the league game, that was the two that he picked against 
Arsenal. I mean, I, I thought Aubameyang actually would look incredibly disinterested in that match, which was the one that restarted the season or the second game on that night. What combination would you go to if you were Pep Guardiola at the back? I think Laporte's Guardiola's best defender. I saw Garcia play in that game against Brighton. He looked really good. I think that he would go with that combination. They look to have a good understanding. And I think they've got the best chance of stopping Aubameyang if he does start in the match. The problem for Aubameyang is going to be getting a supply line. And I think that the Manchester City midfield is going to be very good at preventing him from getting that supply line. And then the problem that Arsenal got, and I think you're spot on, Crook, the City attack has got a far greater speed of thought than the Arsenal back line. Mustafi's got a mistake in him every game he plays. Louise likes to play the ball out from uh, defence, but he can't cope if he gets robbed of the ball. And I can see a situation where the speed of the City front players are, is going to undo him. Sterling is in outstanding form. Jesus as well. He saw the goal he scored against Bournemouth the other night. I, I just think they're going to be too good. Um, also, Aubameyang is is a bit of a flat track bully, isn't he? He gets his goals against the lesser lights in the Premier League. Yeah. And in games like this, if you look at how Bournemouth played the other night, Joshua King was absolutely fantastic. His work rate, out of possession, his work rate in terms of turning defence into attack, I'm just not sure. Well, you got that from Aubameyang will do that. You? And you got that from Reese Nelson the other night. And you're right. I mean, the, the, the question is, will Aubameyang do that? I think he did that against uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers. I thought he was excellent in that game. If Arteta doesn't win this, which is the probably the most realistic of uh, scenarios, Arsenal are going to struggle to reach Europe. Arsenal are not going to go to any final where they can win silverware this season. And the likelihood is that they're going to finish ninth, eighth. How does Mikhail Arteta rate if his season doesn't end with a FA Cup final appearance and they finish well, they're going to finish mid-table, aren't they, Darren? Considering lots of people thought he got the job because he was Pep's number two rather than because he, he didn't anything about him. <laughs> um, I think he's created a really favourable impression. I think he's showed authority, the way that he's dealt with Ozil. I mean, Ozil might well have a back injury, but I think it's probably more to do, A, with picking up his wages, his fat wages, and B, to do with the fact that um, he has bent over backwards to try and impress uh, the manager, Arteta, and Arteta's just not having him. Uh, so he'll be gone. Gwenduzi, the way he's treated, uh, dealt with against Gwenduzi, fantastic. You know, he, he, if Gwenduzi's um, trying to front him up uh, and thinks he's going to win Arteta, and he had to win that really to kind of show his authority in the dressing room, had to win that early. Can't have a young player stepping up to the manager, just taking over a big club and trying to test his authority. I think tactically, when he realised his side couldn't defend, he's gone to a three at the back and got a few better results against sides you'd expect the side expect them to be uh, beating. He sends out really good, strong, clear messages as well about what he wants his team to do, what he expects from the board. I think he's created a really favourable impression in his first what half a season in charge of the club and whether they win silverware or not in many respects I, it would might actually be better for them not to win silverware because I think that could maybe put a false gloss yeah he's already started to put pressure on the board already hasn't he about the investment that he needs he did that straight after the game on Tuesday night I've been impressed with him and the way he carries himself I have also been impressed by the way that he has got his message across to the team and from what I understand from speaking to Kieran Tierney and to Bukayo Saka they tell me that 
the players that buy into his philosophy can see exactly what they're trying to do and they're building something rather than there's no short-term goal. It is, it is a long-term project. They understand that. But they can only fulfil that long-term aim and bridge the gap because it's a huge gap from where they are on the table now to European football next season. I mean, they're nine points off the top four as we speak tonight. It, it is going to require investment. AFC Bournemouth against Southampton this weekend. Big, big game. Bournemouth picked up... Uh, a little bit against Leicester in the second half. 1-4-1 without being superb. They were battling, well-organised in the game against Manchester City. And they could have, on a different day, have got something from that game. Edison made a terrific save. They missed a couple of big chances. The ball just wouldn't bounce for them towards the end. But there's no escaping the fact that they've lost eight of their last 11 games. Can they, Crook, give themselves a fighting chance by beating Southampton at home? Eddie Howe will be sitting in that dressing room prior to the game saying, just, just, just let's take it to the final day. Well, first and foremost, they've got a terrible record in this fixture, uh, which I know is something that Eddie takes very personally and really grates with him. There's been some no-shows over the years that he's just been unable to account for and he will get his players bang out for this one. But in answer to your question, it depends which Bournemouth team turn up. I think you did a, a bit of a disservice there in your intro because... They weren't only battling against Manchester City. I thought they were terrific. You know, it was back to Bournemouth at their best. Counter-attacking football, breaking at speed. Everybody knew their job. And they were very unlucky not to get something from the game. My frustration, I've voiced this on social media. Why have they been so rubbish for the rest of the season? Where has that performance been? And and even since restart, Palace at home. Barely won a game apart from against Bournemouth. Newcastle at home when players out there visibly down tools. Why is it taken until now when they're in an almost untenable position for the players to actually produce a performance they're capable of? David Brooks was terrific. Joshua King. It, it's so annoying as, you know, someone who's got a vested interest in this. I think it is still too little too late. What gives me a glimmer of hope is if West Ham can beat Watford, then it could come down to goal difference. And the fact Bournemouth only lost 2-1 at the Etihad could actually be quite significant. Mm. Southampton weren't great on Thursday night. He left some key players out. He brought them back in into the second half. Walker, Peters and Chad, and they looked a much better team. He wants to win this game as well. He knows there's a bit of a rivalry developing, not so much from the Southampton side, but certainly from Bournemouth. I think they want to put them in their place. That would be a concern because what he's done, Ralph Arsenal, is kept Southampton motivated. So I think they will probably be motivated enough not to lose. But and South- that will probably South- be Bournemouth South- South- really haven't got anything to play for now, have they? I mean, basically, they are... They didn't have anything to play for at Old Trafford. No, but they, they, but they, but they, they aren't going to, to finish any higher than 11th or 12th. There was still a chance of a top 10 finish going into that game at Old Trafford. There is not a prospect of that happening now. So that is another thing that Bournemouth can, can hold on to. Um, Danny Ings is continuing to, to score and oh. impress. He, he's been absolutely fantastic, Darren. Uh, he will be in the England squad, won't he, for the games between England and Iceland and England and Denmark? Absolutely. I think he'll, he'll be in there. I'd be surprised if Mason Greenwood's not in there. I think he's earned the right to be in there. He picks himself week after week and and, and obviously Harry Kane will be in there as well. But I think Danny Ings for sure will be in there, not just because he's been scoring goals, but the consistency he's been scoring them with and the confidence that he's playing with as well. I think his movement will give Bournemouth all sorts of 
problems. Uh, the crook is absolutely right. Bournemouth uh, fans got a right to ask where these performances have been for so long. I think partly it's been a combination of things, of course. They've had huge injuries all over the pitch. The Ryan Fraser situation hasn't helped. Um, he, he's been as good as gone They're since before the lockdown. They're also a transition, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. I think that maybe he needed to be a bit more ruthless at the start of the season and, and start to turn over some of the players who had served the club particularly well. Um, and I think he might well do that if he gets a chance to continue beyond this season. I think I, one other thing, I do think that Bournemouth will be targeting the, the, the loser of the Friday night's game between West Ham and Watford yeah. because they'll see that, you know, I actually thought they'd lose far more heavily against Manchester City and they didn't. And I, I, I don't know which one of you, I can't remember which one of you said it, but I think you're absolutely right. That could be key yeah. because the performance they put in in that match might give them a bit of heart. For are their I, are, are you coming round to my way of thinking now, Crook, that there was there, there is a chance, there is a chance that Bournemouth can do something because <laughs> of this game between West Ham and Watford? Yeah, um, but it's the old saying, isn't it? It's the hope that kills you because I still think they've left it too late. I'm worried and, um, about you tonight. You're so you're so you're not optimistic <laughs> enough for me. You're usually such a bubbly character. Today, you're just not so much. I don't understand this. Are you it's okay? the business end of the season. I'm getting nervous. I'm getting nervous. <laughs> um, but I mean, you mentioned Danny Ings there um, and obviously he has a relationship with Eddie Howe. What a player he's been this season for Southampton. Yeah. Only the third player in their Premier League history to score. 20 goals in the top flight. The first since James Beattie 17 years ago. He looks a snip at £20 million now, oh, doesn't he? And he's such a clever player. Um, I, I would say, you know, he's, he's got the intelligence of Teddy Sheringham, but he's got pace as well. And that is a deadly combination. If you give him a chance, one of one of the goalkeepers, Brighton did on Thursday, he's going to put it away. Crook, there's been a lot of talk about him maybe being a target for one of the bigger clubs again. Um, but he's actually thrived on knowing that he's going to play regular first yeah. team football. But where, if he did leave, and I'm sure Southampton would fight to keep him, give him whatever he wants, where could you see him going? Well, do you know what? I was actually um, mulling this over on my way back from the ground. He has a, a link, doesn't he, with Brendan Rogers, uh, who signed him to say, Leicester oh, yeah. Liverpool, yeah. and, yeah. and Rogers remains a big admirer. That they need to have an exit strategy in place for Jamie Vardy that that would seem to be the perfect fit what I would say is Danny Ings is not going to go banging on Harden Hootel's door and asking for a move he's a Southampton boy he's always dreamt of playing for the club As you say his first name on the team sheet he's injury free he's, he's had that taste of playing for a big club in Liverpool he knows the grass is not necessarily always greener I would caveat that and say Southampton's owners are in this to make money yeah. so if someone slaps down £60 million they would be tempted. Yeah. What about 40? I think it would need to be 50, 60. 45. <laughs> Are you bidding on less than half? <laughs> At Norwich against Burnley this weekend is a 5.30 game on Talk Sports this Saturday evening. Norwich, eight without a win against Burnley, six without a defeat. What's the most interesting thing about this game? Darren? <laughs> uh, okay, <the> most... 
the half-time ad break. <laughs> <laughs> well, only Middlesbrough in England have gone longer without a home win than Norwich City. Uh, we look forward to that one at 5.30 on Saturday. Tottenham Leicester is on Sunday. Uh, this is the uh, the Premier League game that everybody at Wembley will be scrambling towards a TV trying to watch. Chelsea and Manchester United desperately will be wanting their former manager to do a job on a former protégé, Rodgers and Leicester. Um, Tottenham weren't that good to watch at Newcastle on Wednesday night when I did that game for TalkSport. Newcastle missed key chances in that match, but... Tottenham were ruthless at taking theirs and Leicester's injuries are racking up again this is a very short turnaround here because Leicester are playing Thursday night and then Sunday and actually it's an unnecessary one as well because both these two teams could have played Monday, Tuesday or Wednesday next week I actually think this and this is not heart rolling here this is a tricky fixture for Leicester um, because what we have seen from Tottenham in recent weeks is, is they are difficult to beat apart from that Sheffield United game since the restart they have tightened up defensively. Jose will try and stifle Leicester's attacking threat. He has been telling anyone who listened that he does want Europa League football next season. If they're going to get Europa League football next season, this is going to be a key game. They're yeah. seventh going into it. So there's a lot of motivation for Tottenham. And again, it's going to be another test of Leicester's meta. Was Sheffield United really bad in midweek? And, and you know, Leicester benefits from that or were Leicester much better? I guess we'll find out. I disagree with you though, Crook. I, I, I don't think that Spurs have been that great. They're really unconvincing in the win over I, Everton. I don't think they've been very good either. They but were, they still yeah. beat Everton, didn't they? They still beat no, no, Everton. 1-0, they, they hardly had a shot on target. They didn't have a shot on target against Bournemouth, against uh, um, Arsenal in the North London derby. They didn't create very much. Horrific. They're not a great team to watch. I mean, Newcastle on, a, on another day would have beat them 3-0. Yeah, absolutely right. I think well, what might help them is the return to form of Son, uh, because Son is able to manoeuvre players out of position. They probably believe they're in the car park. He, he's so good. Uh, and the combination with Kane as well, obviously scoring goals third, as well. They do they until the last this 20 minutes the of the game. And the reason why they don't get into the final third is because they're always running back towards their own goal to, to help out in defence. I, I would edge for Spurs... Not because I think they're, they're they're totally better than Leicester, but because of the scoring potential of the front men. But yeah, yeah, I think that what Spurs will do is play on the counter attack and try and nick a couple of goals. Absolutely, and and listen, if anyone is going to play Brendan like a fiddle it's going to be Jose Mourinho he's done mm, it before exactly um, unbeaten at home since the restart Tom. Yeah, yeah absolutely and and Harry Kane scored twice against Newcastle and scored a couple of times before that he's notched 14 goals in 13 games against Leicester so he has a penchant for scoring against them a team he had a short spell on loan at. a what sorry a what a penchant you know oh, okay Okay. See, it's those new glasses now he thinks he's from Paris <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if Jose Mourinho has made this clear by the way I don't know if you've heard this yet because uh, you know he's probably a little bit too humble to, to say it himself but you do know don't you that if the table started on the day that he was appointed as a Tottenham manager they would be fifth you do know that don't you <laughs> not that he's not that, not that it's about him it's, it's only about the team and getting into the Europa League well, that's one of those things that you should think it but you should never say it yeah he had a few of those uh, when I spoke to him after the game on uh, Wednesday night quick word before we go on five subs and your views on this because IFAB have now said that they want it to be available to leagues in competition throughout 2021 14 of the 20 Premier League clubs would have to vote for it 
in order for it to be in place next season. UEFA don't seem to like the idea. I think for this round of the Champions League and the Europa League, they're going to allow the five substitutes. But by the time England play their games in the Nations League, it's going to be back to three. And they certainly want that to be the case for the European Championships next summer. Jamie Carragher, Gary Neville, they've all tweeted about it, saying this is not a great idea. What is the view? I agree with them. Um, it favours the bigger clubs, the, 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 the squads with the more depth. We've, Darren's mentioned it already with Manchester United and some of the subs that they've made. They made five subs in one hit, didn't they, in one of their matches. And I don't believe it's going to get enough support from the Premier League because if you're one of those smaller clubs, it's like turkeys voting for Christmas. Why would you enable the more elite sides to gain a, a definite advantage over you? So I would be surprised if they got 14 out of 20 clubs to vote for it moving forward. Uh, who does vote for it, by the way? Because it, I, I take it it would be... 14 of the 20 clubs that are going to play in next season's Champions League. So, therefore, you would include Leeds United, most probably, and then either Brentford or, or West Brom, plus whoever it is who comes up during the playoffs. And if it's Leeds United that are getting involved in that, maybe they would vote for it, Darren. Yeah, maybe they would. I remember the press conference. I think I talked about it on the show before when um, it was a Friday night. Uh, Spurs are drawn with Manchester United and Mourinho gave a really intriguing line in the press conference afterwards when he said that one big club wanted this whole five substitutes thing and the other big clubs followed him. The problem with what he said was that it was one of the final questions of the press conference so we couldn't get him to elaborate on it. But it's quite clear that there is some high-level lobbying for there has been some high level level lobbying for this. Mm-hmm. Try and say that three times. Um, Especially this and time. absolutely, um, and and all the rest are following. So maybe in hindsight we should have seen this coming. I don't like it. I said it before. I think it's skewed in favour of the big clubs, and it may be the reason why they are getting their ways because they don't want they, people people don't want them to take their ball and walk away with it yeah I, listen I, I I can't see 14 of these clubs voting this through Wolverhampton Wanderers won't want it because they they always only use a handful of substitutes over the course of a game they never use the full complement uh, I don't think Newcastle will vote for it I can't see Brighton Palace West Ham Watford voting for it two of, at least of the three clubs that are promoted won't vote for it and that's enough not to not to allow the motion to carry so it looks unlikely doesn't it Crook? also could it not be detrimental to the future of the England national team and, and the game for young players because what you, you might find ways, can't you? you can argue both ways but the, the line I'm taking on it is that clubs particularly those who, who haven't got deep squads will be forced to stockpile their young players rather than send them out on loan to the EFL for fear of injuries and not being able to fill their benches. That's a good point. Uh, well, certainly it's a, a debate that I think will rumble on, but I don't think we'll end up with five substitutes in the Premier League uh, next season. We will have people looking at monitors, though, I think, which will be a welcome thing. Or will it? I'm, not, I'm still not sure. Uh, right, what a show. Thank you very much to Darren Lewis and to uh, Alex Crook. The Ultimate Preview is back on Monday morning uh, when Crook and I will be joined by someone as yet unnamed. Who is it? Do you know? Do you know? Frank Lampard after Chelsea have beaten United in the FA Cup quite possibly Uh, please rate and review and tell all your friends to download us too and don't forget that this weekend is full of football and it's all on TalkSport Friday, Saturday and Sunday seven live commentaries from the EFL the Premier League and the FA Cup only on TalkSport 
Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.